Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pump Fake. I'm Jared Bailey with you as always, flying solo. Tonight, lots to get into from week 10. Week 10 in the NFL already. Um, we'll start off though with you know the big news of the day. Um, and forgive me if you guys watched my uh immediate live stream on it from earlier when it happened. Um, but I am gonna talk a little bit about the Bills. Parting ways with offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Um, and what happens next, not just for not just for the Bills, but what this does for them, the outlook of the AFC East the rest of the way, and what it can mean for the Bills in the future. So let's just start with the firing of Dorsey. It was the right thing to do. It was the right move. And it absolutely shouldn't be the last firing that they do in the next few months. Because look at the common denominator in all of this. Common denominator in all of this is Sean McDermott. You look at when Brian Dable left for New York, go back and watch the, uh, the handshake between Brian Dable and Sean McDermott after the Bills and Giants faced each other earlier this season. There's a, that was a very quick, that was an Eric Mangini, Bill Belichick handshake. There, there's not a lot of uh, good vibes between those two. And I wonder why that is. And the most likely reason of why that is, is, okay, well, Brian Dable ran a certain kind of offense, a more aggressive kind of offense, that saw Josh Allen run the ball a lot and Sean McDermott didn't like it. And so when he got the opportunity, Brian Dable to become the head coach of the New York giants, I don't think Sean McDermott was too sad to see him go. And I don't think Brian Dable was too sad to leave Sean McDermott. Which then brings in Ken Dorsey and the schematics of what the bills were doing I see Dan Orlovsky talk about it a lot. It's just very, he, he and I'm going to quote Dan here because he puts it better than I could. Um, he was talking about it earlier, I believe on McAfee. And he said that in order for the Bills to have like a big play, everything has to go perfect. And if one thing goes wrong, then it becomes, okay, Josh, do something. And that's kind of been the Bills' MO this year on offense. And it also doesn't help when outside of Stefan Diggs and now a little bit of Dalton Kincaid because he's become more of a really the number two guy in the offense. But that's recent. I mean, that's two weeks ago against Tampa. That's not that's not a that's not been a thing for very long. 
And we look at the rest of the offense. Gabe Davis is Gabe Davis is not a serious football player. Gabe Davis will show up once every 18 games, and then he will disappear, and it becomes a game of where's Waldo, but with where's Gabe Davis every Sunday. He's not a good football player, not a good receiver. He's not a good NFL-capable number two receiver. He's just not. He doesn't show up. And it also doesn't help the amount of times that we see that we saw Ken Dorsey just run like a corner flat concept with Deontay Hardy running a corner. They did it last night and it got undercut extremely easy. And it was a pass that Josh shouldn't have thrown. And it was intercepted. And then the first interception hit Gabe Davis directly in the hands, bounced off his hands and was intercepted. Which by the way, Gabe Davis catches that. If they get points that drive, Ken Dorsey still has a job. I'm not saying that that would have helped the Bills long-term. But this goes back to a long-stemming issue, a very big overlying issue with the Bills. And it's the fact that Sean McDermott isn't a good head... I shouldn't say Sean McDermott isn't a good head coach. I think that's jumping the gun. The Bills have reached their peak with Sean McDermott, and it's time to move on. Because look at not just the losses, but the way that they've lost. Last night, even amongst all the turnovers and all the bullshit that happened, the Bills win the game because Will Lutz misses a field goal and there's 12 guys in the field. That's not on Josh Allen. That's not on Ken Dorsey. That's Sean McDermott. Not getting ready and being prepared for a really bad Patriots team and allowing Mac Jones to look like Joe Montana against your defense. That's not on... Ken Dorsey, that's not on Josh Allen. It's on Sean McDermott. And even in the Jets game, which, yes, Josh Allen played god-awful, even in the Jets game, where the Jets, I believe, drove down the field to tie it late in the game. And then you look like looking at all of these circumstances where even when the Bills offense plays poorly, Josh Allen still comes alive and the final few minutes of the fourth quarter either gives them a lead or ties the game. Like they took the lead last night against the Broncos with under two minutes left. They had a lead against the Patriots. And then Sean McDermott's defense gave up a touchdown with six seconds left against the Patriots. Sean McDermott's defense. Oh, I shouldn't even say the defense because the defense had a sack on Russell Wilson and then they got a bad pass interference call on an underthrown ball, which is a stupid penalty. And then not having your team prepared, having 12 guys in the field cost you a game. And we talk about it a lot in the NFL where every game matters. That's very true. And I bet the Bills are really punching themselves in the face right now because they messed around against the Jets. They dicked around against the Patriots. They lost to Jacksonville and London and a game that they very well could have won. If not for, I mean, there's defensive penalties in that game that really contributed to Jacksonville winning. Their offense couldn't do anything against Cincinnati. I'll get, I'll give, you know, the, the proper blame for, for Ken Dorsey on in that Cincinnati game when the offense couldn't do anything. And I'm not saying that Ken Dorsey shouldn't have been fired. He should have. Because he took away everything that made Josh Allen and this offense great, which is 
you did the opposite of what Brian Dable did. They played a lot of up-tempo. They utilized Josh Allen on the run game a lot. Ken Dorsey didn't do that. But the overlying issue here is Sean McDermott. And it's not just this season. It's the 13 seconds issue in the playoff game against the Chiefs, which, by the way, resulted in him firing Leslie Frazier and taking over the defensive play calling jobs. So now he's fired in the last calendar year, his defensive coordinator and his offensive coordinator. And his previous previous offensive coordinator and him clearly have beef. So that's three guys that have been made scapegoats for three separate types of issues. You know, Dable leaves and there's clearly miscommunications and disagreements with him and Dable in terms of the way that the offense was being run. Leslie Frazier gets fired and made the scapegoat for the incident in the playoffs when the Chiefs came back with 13 seconds left. And now Ken Dorsey is made a scapegoat because of a 5-5 five and five start. And Ken Dorsey, like I said, he deserved to get fired. And it was time to move on. But what do all three of these things have in common? The overlying issue here is Sean McDermott. And it's the consistency of blowing games in which he should win, not getting ready and not being well-prepared for games that you should win against far inferior opponents, and stupid mistakes that cost you games that a good head coach has his team avoid. And I see a lot of people today trying to blame Josh Allen for this. And that brings me to my next point. We need to stop. I, I think we put too much emphasis and worryment on quarterback turnovers. It's one thing if they're Jameis Winston from a few years ago and he throws 30 picks. That's far different. Look at all of the great quarterbacks throughout time. Most of them have had turnover issues at one point or the other. Peyton Manning had some turnover issues. He led the NFL in interceptions, I think, multiple times. Drew Brees led the NFL in interceptions one year in 19. Ben Roethlisberger led the NFL in interceptions multiple times. When you're a superstar quarterback, you believe in your abilities, you're going to take more shots, and naturally you're going to turn the ball over a little bit more. I'll take a few more turnovers when I know you're going to give me five to seven plays a game that swing the momentum in my advantage. And anybody, I, I go on Twitter and I just see so much just Josh Allen bashing. Everybody who's bashing Josh Allen would take him 10, 10 out of 10 times over a quarterback like Kenny Pickett, who has four turnovers and gives you zero explosiveness and doesn't help you win games. And if you say you wouldn't, then you're either lying, you don't know ball, or both. Has Josh Allen had a little bit of a tendency to turn the ball over this year? Yes. More, more frequently than he has in years past. Is he still one of the top three quarterbacks in football at his very best? Yes. And if you had your choice of quarterbacks to pick, he's one of the first few that you're taking. You take the good because it far outweighs the bad. And look at look, Patrick Mahomes. I think he has eight interceptions. Jalen Hurts has eight interceptions. Lamar Jackson struggled with turning the ball over this year. Two has got seven or eight interceptions. I have to look up the numbers. But these are all guys that are amongst the league leaders in interceptions. But what do they all have in common? They're also some of the five to six best quarterbacks in the league. Kenny Pickett has the fewest 
turnovers amongst, I think, 33 qualified quarterbacks. He's also one of the five worst quarterbacks in the league. I'll take some turnovers as long as the explosiveness and that it factor and that ability to change games is there, which Josh Allen has, Patrick Mahomes has, Jalen Hurts has, Lamar Jackson has. And again, are they ideal? No. And are some of these interceptions asinine and just dumb? Yes. But at this point, that's his MO. He's going to play ungodly good for 10 or 11 games, and he's going to have two or three games a year where he just shoots himself in the foot. Is it annoying? Yes. And sometimes is it going to cost you a game in the regular season? Yeah. We've seen it already this year. But he's also going to be the reason you win a lot of games. And we've seen when the lights are the brightest, he shows up. Now, obviously, there's going to be some exceptions to that with the Bengals game of last year, but a lot of that was he had no protection and no time to make any plays. And the pass rush for the Bills was non-existent. So you can say what you want about Josh Allen's turnovers. Are they a pain in the butt? Yes. Are they ideal? No. Would you still take him over a check down Charlie who gives you zero explosiveness? Yes, you would. And if you say you wouldn't, then you're either lying or just dumb. I don't know what to tell you outside of that. But now that brings up, okay, what's next for the Bills? Well, what's next for the Bills is that they've got a tough gauntlet in front of them to run. Because they've got the Jets, the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys in their next four games. And then after that, it's the Chargers, the Patriots, and the Dolphins to close out the season. So best case scenario for the Bills is they split these next four, go into the final three weeks, seven and seven, and they got to win those last three. Now, can they win three out of these four? Sure. Do I expect them to? No. It would certainly, it would certainly do them a lot of good if they could get one of, those, one of these wins back that they blew earlier in the year. But their final three games are very winnable against a Chargers team who has a tendency to, to lose big games, a Patriots team who's a dumpster fire, and then Miami, who, for better or worse, Josh Allen has owned for the, for, throughout the entirety of his, of his career. And Miami hasn't really won a big game yet. Not to say that they can't, and it's going to be a game that decides, A, either the AFC East, if Buffalo can keep their head above water and be at 9-7 and seven at that point, and if they get a little bit of help and Miami loses a few games. Or B, which is the more likely scenario, the Dolphins have the AFC East wrapped up going into Week 18, and the Bills are playing for a playoff spot. And then that makes up you know, for an interesting scenario. Because if you're the Dolphins, okay, you, let's say you got you know the, the three seed wrapped up. Are you going to play your starters and risk an injury? Or are you going to bench them, but also risk basically knowing that you're going to let the Bills in the playoffs? And that's a trade-off that you got to debate whether you want to let them in or not. Because remember, we saw it a few years ago where I believe it was the Eagles that got in and then eliminated Chicago? I'm pretty sure that was the scenario. So that's going to be a conversation that Miami has to have. Okay, are we going to, you know, try to, are we going to go out here knowing that we don't have playoff position to play for, but 
we're playing to keep the Bills out of the playoffs because we don't want to see them again. And if I had to guess, the starters would play the entirety of the game. And it keeps them fresh too. It keeps, you know, keeps them from cooling off, especially if they're playing well. Or they play a half. But even then, like let's say you're winning 14 to 10 at halftime, you're going to really throw in Mike White and trust that he's going to win the game? No. So in that situation, I would assume that Miami would play their starters the entire game. And it would be basically a, a playoff game for the Bills in week 18. Win and you're in. Because you look at the rest of the AFC, I think there's still 14 teams within one game of one or less games of the wild card. There's a lot of 500 teams. Denver's four and five and still in it. And then the Steelers, the Browns, and the Texans, who all own playoff spots right now. Cincinnati's still in the hunt. The Chargers are still going to be there. It's a very deep conference. And the Bills just kept shooting themselves in the foot too early on. And now they've got to dig themselves out of a hole with a gauntlet in front of them. But the overarching point, I guess I've been kind of digging around here, is it was the smart move to fire Ken Dorsey. He wasn't getting the job done. His scheme was really raw and rotten and wasn't, wasn't doing anything. It wasn't innovative. And it relied far too much on perfection to get anything done. And if it wasn't pure perfection, then Josh Allen was basically, you know, it had to be Josh Allen or nothing. But now you look at what is going to be out there in terms of head coaching candidates. Ben Johnson from Detroit is right there. And if you can get Ben Johnson, there's no reason why you should keep banging your head against the wall with Sean McDermott expecting anything to change. Because at this point, I think we've seen the peak. And the peak is 13 seconds. And if Josh Allen doesn't win a Super Bowl in Buffalo, Bills fans are going to look at that as that was probably our year. And Josh Allen isn't to blame for that. He played as perfect a game as we've ever seen in league history. He isn't to blame for that. That's on Sean McDermott. And again, if you want to hear my more of this, you can go watch the live stream on my YouTube. Uh, I didn't upload that as a podcast. So again, it's over there if you want to watch it. Um, but I do want to talk about the Houston Texans as well, because they keep winning. And you look at their schedule, man, they're probably going to be a playoff team. CJ Stroud yesterday, 359 yards, I guess Sunday, 359 yards and a touchdown and leading a game-winning drive against a really good Bengals team who I still think is going to make the playoffs. And we need to start talking about C.J. Stroud. Not only is you know the best you know, rookie quarterback, but as one of the best quarterbacks, period. Because at the midway point in the year, he had 14 touchdowns and one pick, which means he was on pace. 28 touchdowns, two interceptions, which would set the NFL record for touchdown-to-interception ratio. And you look at where he ranks in terms of quarterbacks right now, and EPA per play. And EPA per play right now, CJ Stroud is seventh in the NFL. He's ahead of Justin Herbert. He's ahead of Jared Goff. He's ahead of Lamar Jackson. You look at adjusted EPA per play, he's seventh ahead of Jared Goff, ahead of Justin Herbert, ahead of Lamar Jackson. And you look at his EPA plus completion percentage over composite score, he's 11th, right behind Justin Herbert, right in front of Lamar Jackson, in front of Geno Smith, in front of Joe Burrow, in front of Trevor Lawrence. 15 touchdowns, two picks on the year. 
And he's doing it with guys, and I don't want to sound disrespectful here, but it's not like he has an all-star cast around him. Offensive line's pretty good. He's got two solid tackles. But you know, they brought in Devin Singletary, fine back, Damian Pierce, and that's Nico Collins at receiver, who coming into the season, his career high in catches was 37. He's already surpassed that this season. Noah Brown, who was just kind of a guy. Dalton Schultz, who was a fine tight end, but he wasn't anything special. And Tank Dell, who's a rookie. And CJ Stroud was putting up these kinds of numbers. And he's put together back-to-back mesmerizing performances for two different reasons, by the way. Because Tampa Bay, their defense hasn't been great. Their past defense really hasn't been great. CJ Stroud lit them up in a shootout comeback win with six seconds left. And then against Cincinnati, I think most people expected them to lose that game. And it looked like they were going to. And Stroud did what he did. Now, they were winning the majority of the game, and then Cincinnati starts roaring back. Um, They get an an interception. They're winning by 10. Uh, The Bengals score a touchdown, get the ball back. Tyler Boyd drops a touchdown pass in the end zone. The Bengals have to settle for a field goal. And then Stroud leads the Texans down the field, and they kick a field goal with no time left. And that was the Houston Texans are the number seven seed in the AFC playoffs at five and four. And like I said, you look at their schedule. I'm going to pull up their schedule right now to talk about it. They look, I mean, they play, they play Arizona next. That should be a win. And they play Jacksonville. That's interesting because right now they're only a game behind the Jaguars. Jacksonville looked really bad against the 49ers. If they sweep the Jaguars, they own the tiebreaker. And if they finish with 10 wins, both teams finish with 10 wins, the Texans win the South. Which means Jacksonville is going to be in a, in a precarious spot. Because if the, if the Jaguars go like 10 and 7, 11 and 6, they're going to be the top wild card spot. But they're probably going to face Houston again. <laughs> and we're going to get Jaguars Texans 3 in Houston. But the rest of their schedule after Arizona and, and Jacksonville is they host the Broncos. I think that'll be a win. They travel to the Jets, to the Titans, host Cleveland, host Tennessee, finish out with Indianapolis. I think they're better than all of those teams. They're not going to win all of them. But can they go, you know, six and two in that stretch? Five and three? I think they can. And if they go six and two, they're an 11 and 16. If they go five and three, they're a 10 and 17. And I think D'Amico Ryan's wins coach of the year running away at that point. But the things that C.J. Stroud's doing right now, he shouldn't just be mentioned as rookie of the year, best rookie quarterback. We need to start talking about him in the conversation of, okay, he's a top 10 quarterback, period. Because right now he is. And the things that the Texans are doing, just awesome. So good for them. Um, They are the most fun team in the NFL right now. And they're doing it with guys that, like, don't blow you away. Um, On on either side of the ball, I already touched on the offense and whatnot. but let me get into my into my notes here in terms of you know their their top defensive guys. Like you look at like Blake Cashman, Henry Teotio, uh, Denzel Perriman, Stephen Nelson. Like these are like B minus guys that are playing at A plus levels right now in terms of what you know people expected of them. And that's a credit to D'Amico Ryan's. That's a credit to the entire coaching staff for getting that out of them. 
And again, these are you know solid players, career solid players, but they're really playing above what we've become used to with them. And that's again credit to credit to Domingo Ryan's credit to Bobby Slowick as well, the offensive coordinator, who he might be getting offense or head coaching jobs this offseason or head coaching calls and in, in interviews to be a head coach after the job that he's done as Texans OC this season. A tremendous, tremendous job by the Texans so far this year. And right now, the offense, it's 10th in EPA per play. It's a top 10 unit. CJ Stroud's playing like a top 10 quarterback. Defensively, in terms of EPA, they're 21st. So, I mean, there's still work to be done on that side of the ball, but it's this has been a much quicker process than we expected. Like coming into this year, if you would have said, okay, you know, the Texans could go seven and 10, six and 11, that would be a pretty good first year. They're probably going to be a playoff team. And Domingo Ryans is likely going to be named coach of the year. He deserves it. And good for the Texans. I touched a little bit on the, uh, the 49ers beating the Jaguars. I talked about it a little bit uh, which, on the Chase Thomas pod that I do every Monday night with J.P. Acosta of SB Nation and Evan Swords. Um, it was a burn-the-tape game for the Jaguars. Um, but there was a lot of really nice plays that the uh, 49ers made offensively. Brock Purdy made a couple of really good throws. Uh, the one where he's like running to his left, back to his right, and then fires it to the back of the end zone to Brandon Ayuk. Really good throw by Purdy. The touchdown pass to Kittle was really just spectacular. Um, when we see... Good Brock Purdy. By the way, I I don't think it's coincidence whatsoever that it's after Debo Samuel came back because I think we're kind of finding out that he's maybe the most important skill position guy in that offense. Obviously McCaffrey, but when teams don't have to worry about Debo Samuel as like the gadget guy, they can stack the box a little bit heavier against McCaffrey. And we saw that the offense was a little bit less effective without Debo Samuel, but he had a fantastic game as well. Kittle had a really big game. The defense played fantastic. Chase Young already making an impact after being traded from Washington. So the 49ers look like they're getting back on track. You know, they lost three in a row. Here's a fun little nugget. The uh, the Rams lost three in a row the year that they went to the Super Bowl and won it. And the Buccaneers, I think, lost three of four uh, in November like at the tail end of October into November, and it was capped off with that loss at home to the Saints, 38-3 to on Sunday Night Football. So look, some teams, especially recently, teams go through skids. It happens. But it's how you rebound. And usually like the year that the, that the Rams lost three in a row, they traded for Odell Beckham, and that proved to be big for their offense. And we're seeing the 49ers, they just traded for Chase Young. It's going to be big for their defense. A defense, by the way, which is now sixth in the league in EPA. So the 49ers, yes, they're absolutely in the thick of it in terms of being a Super Bowl contender. And it's good that they got that losing streak, all those ugly losses out of the way at the like end of the beginning of the season to like middle of the season. It's better to do that now rather than in December and January right for the playoff start. Feel like they've you know exercised most of those demons, and now we'll see what happens going forward. The uh, the AFC North, 
is going to have a big weekend, the biggest weekend of the season for the division thus far, because on Thursday night football, the five and four Bengals will be playing the now what seven and three Ravens. And if the Bengals lose that game, they're going to be in a similar boat to the Buffalo Bills, where it's going to be very hard for them to get to the playoffs. And the Cleveland Browns at six and three will be hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are six and three. And that will have big playoff implications as well, because the team who wins that to get to seven and three, if you get in cruise control for the rest of the regular season, you're probably a playoff team. Now, in terms of you know Pittsburgh, you know everybody who knows me knows I covered the Steelers for behind the steel curtain. They know how I feel about Pittsburgh. I think this is a team with a very hard ceiling of they can win these grinded out, not having good passing games. The quarterback doesn't look good. Rely on the defense to hold the team to fewer points rather than trying to outscore teams. They can do that against bad teams throughout the regular season. They did it against Green Bay. They did it against Tennessee. The defense scored more points than the offense did in their first matchup with the Browns. So you can do that against mediocre to bad teams. But once you get to January, it's not going to end well. And so I think that's kind of what we're on the road for for both these teams because the Browns offense hasn't been great, but they came back against the Ravens. So this is going to be a fun weekend. I'll look more ahead to it um, in, the, in the preview show. This uh, is coming Thursday. And I will maybe another show on Friday. But I, I do want to talk about Bengals Ravens. I think we'll probably just do like a, a live stream on the YouTube for that. So subscribe to the YouTube, Jerry Bailey on YouTube, Jay Bailey NFL on YouTube, I should say. Um, and then go read the power rankings on USA Today. Uh, read all the Steelers stuff behind the steel curtain. Again, we'll dive into more of the AFC North. The big matchups for this weekend. We'll do that later on. Um, with we'll see who it'll be with. Might be Mike Tanier, might be Doug Farrar. We'll we'll see. Um, but we'll touch on all of that in the week eleven preview show. And like I said, we'll probably do a separate stream for Bengals Ravens on Thursday, just because it's a big game and want to dive into all of it. So we'll be back later on in the week. Appreciate y'all for joining me, whether it be on YouTube or as a podcast. This is the Pump Thick. See you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.